Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com, who are also producers of EWTN's Living Right with Dr. Ray Gurendi. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And our purpose of this program, our aim, the sort of the charism, the gift of it, is the presentation of the gifts of the church, East and West, actually, but of course, primarily East. And the reason we present these gifts is because, as John Paul II said in his document, Orientali Lumen, which, of course, is where we get our name here, Light of the East. It means in English, Light of the East. He said in there that we must learn about the Eastern churches so as to be nourished by them and also to work towards unity. And as an Eastern church, as an Eastern, as Eastern Catholics in particular, of which I am one, we, of course, share the same Pope as our Western Rite or Latin Rite Roman Catholic brethren. And so it is with a lot of thought, a lot of prayer, a sadness, but with compassion and understanding that we too here at Light of the East as Eastern Catholics receive the news and will hopefully give some perspective and reaction from our point of view about the renouncing of the papacy. And that's the correct word to use, the renouncing of the papacy by Pope Benedict XVI. In a few days, as you're listening to this program, a few days from now, we will no longer have him as our Pope. And for the Eastern churches, this affects us, and we have certain thoughts and perspectives on it that I want to share with you on this program, Light of the East. First of all, let's be clear about what this Pope said when he resigned. One of the things that is, of course, very disturbing is how we hear in the media and secular sources a sort of a, what I call the picking of the carcass, you know, the vultures. You know, they're so happy that they, they think that the Pope got knocked off somehow by the pressures of the world and by secularism, and they're sort of almost like a mocking or a laughing ha-ha. But the truth of the matter is he did not chicken out. He did not buckle under pressure. He did what any man like him, who is truly a man of the church, a man who loves the church, madly in love with God and madly in love with the church, what he did was he made a difficult, difficult, prayerful discernment. Notice I say discernment and not decision, but prayerful discernment between he and God to do what he thought was best for the church. 
Although it seems unprecedented, at least in recent history, yes, of course it is. The Holy Father said this in his official statement, However, in today's world, subject to so many rapid changes and shaken by questions of deep relevance for the life of faith, in order to govern the bark of St. Peter and proclaim the gospel, both strength of mind and body are necessary. Strength, which in the last few months has deteriorated in me to the extent that I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry entrusted to me. So for this reason, and well aware of the seriousness of this act, with full freedom, I declare that I renounce the ministry of Bishop of Rome, successor of St. Peter, entrusted to me by the Cardinals on 19th of April, 2005, in such a way that as from 28th of February, 2013, at 20.00 hours, the See of Rome, the See of St. Peter, will be vacant, and a conclave to elect the new supreme pontiff will have to be convoked by those whose competence it is. So first of all, we want to be clear that he is choosing to do what he believes is best for the church because he feels he can no longer go on with the type of strength that is required. Now, it's a little bit different than John Paul II. John Paul II, through his weakness, through even through sickness, he was powerful, made a powerful witness. But that's John Paul II, and God works uniquely through every individual, most particularly, of course, popes. (laughs) But for this particular pope, sickness or weakness of body is not quite the same type of witness, at least in his mind and heart. It is actually witness in its own way. In its own way, Benedict XVI is witnessing through his frailty. John Paul did it in a powerful way. Benedict is doing it in a way that is unique to him in a humble way, but yet at the same time, it has its own power. Because it's a very noble decision. It's a very, it's really, it's an incredible decision. It's one that gives us pause to reflect, pause to reflect upon not only the papacy and the church, but also the world. And it also brings up some very interesting questions and thoughts about the impact ecumenically especially as we're concerned here at the East, between the Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox churches in particular, and the Roman Catholic Church. Now, why do I say this? Because as the Pope has renounced, and again, it's important to use the word renounce, and words in English don't always translate perfectly from Latin, and they might mean things differently in Rome and in Latin than they do in English. So we just have to trust that the word renounce is the closest English translation to what is really happening. It's not resigning or quitting or retiring. It's renouncing. In other words, he is no longer going to be the Pope. It's not a retirement. It's not a surrender or retreat. It's just simply he is no longer going to be the Pope. Now, the implications for this ecumenically between East and West could be very, very significant. This is what I mean by even in his frailty, he is doing something that perhaps may be very very powerful. And what is that? He's witnessing to the world, and especially to the Eastern churches, not that necessarily this is his intention, but by doing what he's doing, the Holy Father, Benedict XVI, is witnessing to the Eastern churches something that they have thought about and looked for for a long time. And that is a certain kind of perspective of the papacy that maybe is closer in practice to how it was during most of the centuries of the church, especially the first millennium. See, we have to understand how the East looks at 
what happened with the papacy. And by that I say particularly the Eastern churches that are not in communion with Rome and Rome not in communion with them. In other words, the Orthodox churches. They believe that the papacy, with all due respect to it, over time, historically, grew in a disproportionate way. That's why they have trouble with things like infallibility or the universal jurisdiction of the Pope. They do accept the place of prominence, of preeminence, of the, what they would call the Bishop of Rome. He would be, in a sense, the first among equals, that if there's a kind of a tie, the tiebreaker, just put it in certain simple language, would be the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome. And this would be in the eyes of the East. If there needs to be recourse, needs to be a certain special input, they again would turn their eyes to Rome. So the East does acknowledge Rome, it always has, as having a special preeminence, a special place. But what that means in practice is where the difference has been between the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic Church. And some of those differences include the concept of papal infallibility and also universal jurisdiction. In other words, the East does not believe that the Bishop of Rome, with all of its preeminence, all of its special nature, still does not have a jurisdictional authority over the other patriarchies, such as Constantinople and Russia, you know, Moscow, and so on, or even historically, Alexandria and Antioch and Jerusalem. The East doesn't believe that there is a jurisdictional authority that comes from Rome over these other patriarchates. So that's one dimension of their concern. With the Pope's renunciation of the papacy, what it's saying to the East is that the man is not greater than the office, and the office is not identified just with the person, that there is a certain kind of limiting in what the East would say is a healthy way, a good way, a kind of a maybe pulling in some of the reins of how the papacy grew in its power over time. And one of the reasons it grew this way was because of historical circumstances in the West. When the Roman Empire fell, and from that time on for a long time, the church was the unifying factor of culture. The church is what kept culture and civilization alive and continuing on. It preserved learning. It preserved culture. And became the one thing that could govern, the one sort of stabilizing, in a sense, monolithic force. Well, everything else was in chaos. Everything else was falling. You had the invasion of the barbarians. You had the whole Roman Empire being decimated and broken apart. And yet the church was the one thing that remained stable in a unifying, authoritative way. And so it is not difficult to understand that the papacy would grow and take on a prominence in a sense, almost a fusion of church and state, where the Pope was also the leader politically, but also the leader spiritually. It's, under, it's easy to understand how the, this would have happened through the evolution of the history that was the history of the West. But nonetheless, the East looks at this as a growth of the papacy, or its power, its jurisdiction, that they believe is disproportionate and has to be addressed. We're going to speak more about the Eastern perspective in light of the renouncing of the papacy of Benedict XVI when we return. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East.
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Saving Jews from the Holocaust in a wheelchair. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky was born in 1865 in western Ukraine. He was an aristocrat who gave up his wealth to become a monk. He then led the Greco-Catholic Church in Ukraine through two world wars. Exiled to Russia for three years during World War I, Sheptitsky never again enjoyed good health. From 1929 until his death in 1944, he worked from a wheelchair. From that wheelchair, Sheptitsky coordinated efforts to save hundreds of Jews during the Holocaust. Next time, we'll tell you more about the Archbishop, who at the height of the Holocaust wrote, A lack of love is the source of every hardship and misery. Love is the very substance of all of God's revelation. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lowe, your host. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar for those Byzantine churches or the Eastern Catholic churches that are on the Gregorian calendar, we are on the second Sunday of Lent. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, it's kind of a special program for us today in light of the monumental, monumental occurrence in history, in church history, of the renouncing of the papacy of Benedict XVI, which, of course, in a few days, we no longer have him as the Pope. And we're talking about the implications and the perspective that we bring to this as Eastern churches, both Eastern Catholic and also Eastern Orthodox. And one of the things I mentioned at the beginning of the program, the one point was, that his renouncing the papacy could actually contribute. Now, we're not happy he's gone and he had to renounce the papacy. We're not saying that. But the fact that he did it, why he did it, how he did it, actually can contribute, and this is another example of how even in weakness and frailty, he can do something and be very powerful, give very powerful witness and contribution to the church. In doing this, the Eastern churches, especially Eastern Orthodox churches, could see this as a step towards what they believe is a better concept or definition of the extent of the papacy, in other words, of its universal jurisdiction. The East believes that the papacy grew because of largely cultural reasons, but it grew in a way that's kind of disproportionate. Now, what's interesting about Benedict XVI, and this brings you to another point, 
that makes him basically respected and endeared by the Eastern churches, both Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox today, is that he is willing, he's a type of scholar, he's, he's such an honest scholar, he's a type of scholar that is willing to entertain any kind of serious, mature perspective on any issue, including the papacy, including the question of, did it grow in a disproportionate way, and maybe that needs to be relooked at. Now, no one's saying here, we're not saying, certainly not saying in light of the East here, that we're not, not challenging any church teaching on infallibility. We're simply saying that the issue of the universal jurisdiction of the Pope, and included with that would be the issue of infallibility, these issues are things that need to be looked at. And this Pope is willing to do that. Yes, he was willing to do that, which is why the East respected him very much, and the East will miss him as the Pope. They really will, both Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. Because of his scholastic sharpness, you know, his scholastic honesty, I like to call it, he was willing to be open to looking at the papacy in a way that the East would find to be very, very encouraging, very palatable, something the East have waited for actually for centuries for Rome, the Pope, to, in fact, revisit what exactly ought to be the extent, the authority of the Pope. Now, remember, the authority and universal jurisdiction of the Pope is something that developed over time. It was not, as the papacy as we know it today, as we understand how it functions, that was not always the case, especially for the first thousand years of the church. So we have a significant period of the church in which the papacy was a bit different than it is today. And Benedict XVI knows that because he's an honest scholar. He's a great scholar of church history and of spirituality, of theology. The other thing that is significant for the Eastern churches with this pope is that he respected the East, respected them enough to listen to them, to entertain in a scholarly way these issues that are of concern to them. He respected their patristic roots, their commitment to liturgy and to mystical theology, and to their uncompromising commitment to what is true teaching. I think he saw the East as kind of a touchstone, kind of a home base, a place we sort of go to to kind of get rooted and reoriented again before we then engage some of the other contemporary issues. And we sort of dialogue and engage with the world with other kinds of theological development and hot-button moral issues. I think this pope certainly saw the Eastern churches as sort of the, the touchstone, the reservoir that you go back to before you begin any other kind of serious theological discussions on any other issues or levels. The other thing about this pope that the East truly appreciated, and this is one of, I think, the most, one of the most significant aspects, is that he had a great, great sense of liturgy and of its importance in relation to every other aspect and discipline of the church. Pope Benedict XVI would always say that if we are worshiping properly, in other words, things are going right, correctly, at the altar, they will eventually go correctly everywhere else. But if they're not correct there, they will not be correct anywhere else in the church. In his papacy, he was taking strides to really restore, sometimes we call that the reform of the reform, taking great strides to reform the liturgy, especially in the West, reform it and return it to certain aspects that should never have been lost. In other words, he was trying to correct 
some of the liturgical developments since the Second Vatican Council. That does not mean he was going backwards or being old-fashioned or turning the clocks back and undoing progress. No, no, no. He was separating wheat from the chaff, actually. He was identifying what is supposed to be legitimate development liturgically, what is supposed to be liturgy according to what the Second Vatican Council documents actually said and indicated, not just the so-called spirit of the Vatican Council or interpretations, but what it really meant, what it really said. That's one of the reasons why he did what was called the modo proprio, where he allowed the priest to face the altar, as it did before Vatican II, to face the altar during Mass. In other words, called ad orientum, to orient towards the East, because as he said, especially in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, the liturgy of the Church, East and West, always had an Eastern orientation. It was never intended, and never was there a time in history when that was turned around. There was never really Mass facing the people not in terms of the entire Mass. There are times when the priest faces the people, absolutely. Even in Eastern liturgies, where we do face East, where we all face the icon screen and we face the altar. There are times, even in the Eastern liturgies, that do that, where the priest turns around and faces the people at certain moments. And so it was in the West as well. And that was never supposed to change. And I think if he had it his way, if he could do it, if he could wave his papal staff in one gesture and turn that altar back around. I personally believe he would have, but I think he knows that it's too difficult to do all at once. So he allowed certain openings that maybe in time, probably long after his time, there would eventually be the return to the proper and classic and time-honored orientation of the altar and of the people at Eucharistic celebrations, both East and West. And because of his devotion, his seriousness to liturgy, the East highly respected him because the Eastern churches by nature are very liturgical church. Liturgy is everything for us in the East. And we knew that Benedict knew this. And so the East was pleased to hear this from the Pope, that the Pope would put this emphasis on worship. Because the liturgy, the Eucharist, is where everything ultimately flows into. It's sort of the summation. We call it the source and summit. Everything starts there and emanates outward and animates and influences every other aspect of life and of church. But it also is a place where everything flows into. It comes into Eucharist. It comes into the Mass to be brought to its proper orientation, its proper character, and offered back up to God in praise and thanksgiving. So we think of Eucharist, think of liturgy, as something where things are flowing in and out, but it's the source, sort of the hub of the wheel, the nucleus. And so this is why the Pope was so right, and why the East truly loved hearing him emphasize the right worship. In the East, we say that liturgy is life. Life is liturgy. Everything flows in and out of liturgy, because liturgy expresses what we believe, and it informs how we're to believe. And liturgy is where we all come together as one community. And we come together in such a way that puts one foot in eternity. It gives us an experience of the eschaton. So liturgy really is everything. And Benedict XVI knew this. And the East admired him for it. The East admires him for many other things, which we hope to talk about from time to time here in Light of the East. But for now, our prayers, our gratitude are with this humble, holy, outstanding Pope, 
Benedict the Sixteenth. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>